The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event details on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Live on tape from the Ed Sullivan Theater in New York City, it's Stephen Colbert! To The Late Show, I am your host, Stephen Colbert. And folks... <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, have yourself notarized. Because you are here on the night, after the night, after the night, after an historic occasion. Because three days ago, Congress approved Biden's $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill. <laughs> Woo! They did one thing! They did one thing. Woo! Ce celebrate a time. Come on. The infrastructure bill comes not a moment too soon because this foam finger has the same structural integrity as most of our bridges. Oh After... Can we show that on CBS? Can I show this on CBS? After months, after months of dragging their feet, I think we're all shocked the Democrats actually got this done. The party has gone from, yes, we can, to, wait, we did? <laughs> wow! What the... We did it. Hubba, hubba. Now, then again, this bipartisan bill, because a bunch of Republicans crossed over the aisle for this, this is something the last administration kept claiming they were about to do but never did. Now, after four years, it's finally infrastructure week. And $1.2 trillion buys you an infra-buttload of infrastructure. <laughs> the bill will bring a massive upgrade to America's roads, bridges, airports, seaports, and rail systems. <laughs> not to mention... <laughs> not to mention much-needed relief to late-night hosts who don't want to try to make jokes about possibly passing an infrastructure bill anymore. One of the bill's major provisions includes $47 billion to withstand the devastating impacts of climate change. Okay, that's good. You know what would have been better? Billions of dollars to prevent the devastating impacts of climate change. 
This... This is the equivalent of showing up to a car crash and handing out seat belts. There you go. There you go. You could have used one. Yep. That would have been good for you. Don't move. They said don't move. Just leave these here. The infrastructure is possibly not the only thing the president passed because tabloids are reporting about Joe Biden's long fart <laughs> at the global climate change gathering in Scotland. I can't believe he's already breaking promises on cutting dangerous emissions. <laughs> the president's alleged mm. cheek squeak <laughs> happened during a chat with British royal Camilla Parker Bowles, and it was, quote, audible enough to make the Duchess of Cornwall blush. And it takes a lot to make the Duchess embarrassed. Her entire family is old farts. Now, reportedly... It's true. It's funny because it's true, Chris. Reportedly, the president's air biscuit was impossible to ignore. Impossible to ignore. So we know it wasn't Prince Andrew. And it is nothing to be embarrassed about. We all remember JFK's first meeting with the Queen as immortalized in the crown. Good evening, Your Royal Majesty. <laughs> Mr. President. <laughs> Mr. President. Your Grace. Shall we? Uh, Jackie. <sighs> I feel like that went wrong in about 10,000 different ways. Yes, you will. But I'm not sure when. <laughs> Let's see what else. What else? <laughs> right? Not a little too much? What else is going on? What else is going on? Oh, uh, here's a little something. There might be a cure for COVID. On Friday, Pfizer announced that its new COVID 19 pill could cut the risk of hospitalization and death by 90%. <laughs> I just broke that news. Wow. I have... I don't know about you. I have not been this excited about a pill since I discovered Molly, the nurse who prescribes my cholesterol medicine. Now... <laughs> now, this pill does not prevent infection, but it does a great job treating it. And this pill uh, is designed to axe COVID, and it's called Paxlovid. All the best medical treatments rhyme. <laughs> Start with Alexander Fleming's big announcement. Penicillin stops the illin'. <laughs> Another sign the pandemic might be uh, out of the way soon. Yesterday, after 20 months of restrictions, the U.S. lifted its travel ban on 33 countries. <laughs> That's great news. That is, that is, come on. That's great news. That's great news. Back on the plane. Some parts of America just don't make sense without tourists. You think New Yorkers want an M&M world inside a Red Lobster? That's for y'all. That's not for us. Check it out, though. It's delicious. Check it, check it out. Now, the tourists may be vaccinated, but the Americans they're coming to visit might not be. And those folks have a new enemy because Republicans and anti-vaxxers are furious that Big Bird got a COVID vaccine. This is the craziest anti-vax Muppet outrage since they claimed Pfizer gave Swedish chef giant meatballs. <laughs> bork, bork, bork. Bork, bork, bork. 
Here's what happened. Last week, the CDC approved the vaccine for kids 5 to 11. And I believe we have an official announcement. These go to 11. Now, to encourage kids to get their shots, beloved TV characters for children have been doing some public health promos. And Saturday, Big Bird tweeted, I got the COVID-19 vaccine today. My wing is feeling a little sore, but it'll give my body an extra protective boost that keeps me and others healthy. Great tweet. No surprise. It's what birds do. But of course... But of course, we can't have nice things anymore because of people like Texas Senator and man on the subway... But how do you really feel? (laughs) Texas senator and drunk man on the subway serenading you with the Salino and Barnes song, (laughs) Ted Cruz. Cruz didn't like that Big Bird was teaching kids how to stay healthy, so he retweeted it with the comment, government propaganda for your five-year-old. Senator Cruz, how should I put this? Our show tonight is brought to you by the letters F and U. I'm surprised Cruz is at odds with Big Bird here. They have so much in common. When it gets cold, they both fly south. (laughs) And it wasn't just Ted Cruz. One state senator from Arizona tweeted, Big Bird is a communist. (laughs) Okay, that's actually true. Big Bird is supposed to be a six-year-old, and they're all communists. They don't own any property. The community pitches in to support them, and they say everything that you own is theirs. (laughs) Now, never, never to be outdumbed, here's Fox News. Big Bird is literally hawking an unnecessary vaccine. (laughs) The whole thing is so ineffective. It's so stupid. The truth is, if that show was real, Big Bird would be shamed right now for not having his or, you know, vaccination yet. If that show was real, we'd have much bigger problems. There's a monster living in a trash can. A little red furry guy is asking strangers to tickle him. And Ernie keeps waking up his husband with trumpets and livestock. One guy... One guy... One guy not promoting the vaccine is Green Bay quarterback and man who forgot his helmet lube. Yeah, they're all going, lube. Aaron Rodgers. Last week, Rodgers got a lot of heat after it was revealed that he had caught COVID and was, in fact, unvaccinated, despite earlier in the season telling reporters this. Are you vaccinated and what's your stance on on vaccinations? Yeah, I've been immunized. Oh, right, I forgot. Soccer is the one where you can't use your hands, and football is the one where you lie through your teeth. <laughs> On Friday, Rodgers defended himself. I realize I'm in the crosshairs of the woke mob right now, so before my final nail gets put in my cancel culture uh, casket, I think I'd like to set the record straight on so many of the uh, blatant lies that are out there about myself right now. Wow. Cancel culture? Woke mobs? Looks like somebody's enjoying their set of Fox News magnetic poetry. (laughs) 
we got a great show for you tonight. Coming up, is Chris Evans the sexiest man alive? Find out when you'll find out after the break. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event details on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. This is a jam-packed show tonight. Yes. For, uh, right. We got we got uh, we got uh, a couple of great guests tonight. Uh, uh, ABC Chief Washington correspondent Jonathan Carl is here. He's got an explosive new book about the last few months. Yes. Front row. Front row seat. Front row of seat. the last few months of the previous administration. The book's called right. Betrayal, and it turns out, and I did not know this, the last few months were um, not good. Yeah. yeah. It was almost like he wasn't acting in the best interest of the American people. Oh, yeah. What would, I don't know what you'd call that. Some sort of a double cross or something like that. Yeah, yeah. He'll be out here to talk about that. And then uh, a national treasure, Brandy Carlisle, is here. Yeah. He's incredible. We saw her, we saw her uh, Saturday night at Carnegie Hall Carnegie doing Joni Mitchell's Blue, the entire yes. album. Extraordinary, transcendent yes. evening, I would call oh, it. Oh, my goodness. Everybody who was there will remember that night for sure. That's exactly right. Did you, you, I saw you at the after party. Yeah. I did not stay. Yeah, you Because I'm an out. old man. I'm an old man. <laughs> I went home and had a glass of water and went to bed. Was it, was it fun? Did, like, oh, fun yeah. people show up? It was fun. A, a lot of cool people, a lot of musicians. Jimmy Buffett was there talking about sailing. Yeah, sure, exactly. I, oh, the son of a son of a sailor. Yeah, sure. I yeah. would get on that boat. What? I'd, I'd get, get on, on that, that boat with him. Sure. <laughs> you know there's refreshments. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, check your calendars, because it's that time of year again. When the world waits with bated breath for the announcement of people's sexiest man alive. Yeah. There, there it is. They care. People, people still care. Who will fill the sex in his vacuum? Soon to be left by the outgoing sexiest man, Michael B. Jordan. Jordan, at this point, is a sexy lame duck. I mean, it's just... It's just handshaking and ribbon-cutting from here on out. He can't, he can't really pass any meaningful sexy legislation at this point. Now, the identity of the sexiest man alive is always an extremely closely guarded secret, I believe kept in that briefcase with the nuclear launch codes. But the New York Post has been boasting that they have the inside scoop and that, in fact, Chris Evans is People Magazine's Sexiest Man Alive 2021. Hmm, how interesting. I mean, I usually take everything the New York Post says at face value because <laughs> their reporting is so reliable, but how can they possibly make this announcement 
when there is only one person officially sanctioned and approved by People magazine to reveal who it is, yours truly, who will be doing that. I'll be doing that exactly 24 hours from now on this show tomorrow night in my capacity as People magazine's sexiest man allowed to announce sexiest man alive. Be here. We're announcing it on this show in this act tomorrow night. And I can hear you all clamoring, well, come on, Steve. Is it Chris Evans? Maybe. <laughs> I am legally forbidden from confirming or denying Chris Evans' sexiness in relation to other males who are presently alive. <laughs> the Page Six claims that Evans was originally slated to take the mantle last year, but the Post's so-called insiders supposedly tell them that bosses thought it was better to wait a year after he accidentally uploaded a picture of his penis <laughs> online. If true, if true, you know what this means. We may be one year away from Sexiest Man Alive, Jeffrey Tubin. <laughs> so, tune in tomorrow to see me make that announcement. And Mr. Jordan, enjoy your last 24 hours. I just pray we see a peaceful transfer of sexy. Up next, Jonathan Carl. Nice to see you again. Thanks for uh, thanks for being here. Yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, uh, it's, have we talked about this before? But when you started at CNN, that you were one of the young guns. Remember, they hired a bunch of y'all, and you were going to be like the really young ones, shockingly yeah, yeah, young reporters. Yeah. Generation X team. Yeah. How long ago was that that you were young? Forty-seven years ago. Or was it you? Because yeah. you're how old are you now? Uh, Fifty-three. Fifty-three. Yeah, yeah. And I'm fifty-seven, so I'm Jeez. I'm young adjacent. Yeah, you used to be the young guy too. What? I was, yeah, I yeah. was the new guy at one point. Yeah. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> Your new book, Betrayal, is about January sixth and the events that led up to it. And before we get into the the details of those events and some of the revelations from your book, what did it feel like? For you, as someone who made their life in Washington, talking about American politics, when that that day happened, I, I mean, I was I was heartbroken. Uh, I, I spent I spent most of my career covering Congress, and look, I, 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 no matter how many times you walk into that place, I mean, I still feel a sense of awe. Mm -hmm. And um, when I was a little kid, and I would visit with my family, I would look to see if the light was on. That meant Congress on, on top of the dome. That would meant Congress is in session, I don't know. and I would want to go and, and see it. So to see those people breaking in that place and rummaging around on the Senate floor, uh, it, was, it was absolutely heartbreaking. What do you think was being violated beyond the physical space? I mean, it was a direct assault on our democracy. It really was. It's, it, it's not just words. They were trying to stop what is the crown jewel of American democracy, which is the peaceful transition of power. Mm -hmm. And that's what was going on. That was the last step in certifying the presidential election and they were directly trying to stop it. They weren't just vandalizing or, you know, going through. They, they were trying to stop what makes American democracy democracy. And by the way, they almost succeeded. That's one of the things with this book. Um, as, I, as I researched it, I, I came to, to realize that we were far closer to losing it all than I even realized at the time. And I was freaked out like we all were at the time. But it was... It was worse. What is the thing that most shocked you that you discovered in, in, in your reporting for this book? That, that what's the thing that got us closer than you imagined? Uh, that if a few people had actually done what Trump demanded of them, 
uh, it, it could have flipped the other way. And these are not people that, they, these are people that basically saved our democracy in a sense, but they're not your traditional heroes. These are people, many of them are like longtime Republican partisans who had, you know, all along the way done everything the guy ever wanted. But when it came to this moment, they stopped. I mean, Pence is the most obvious. Um, uh, and, you know, you never, did you ever think Pence was going to be the guy that was going to stand up to Donald Trump, you know? No, the man <laughs> who would take his water bottle off the table if Trump took his water bottle off the table. I mean, I mean, just, just astounding. But he was disloyal when it counted the most, disloyal to Trump when it counted the most. And there are others, names that you don't know, but I, I go through, uh, who were, you know, basically in some ways political hacks who stood up and stood strong and did the right thing in the right moment. As someone who reports in Washington, can you call people political hacks, or I just do you have to stay sort of did? objective? I, I, I hope not. I didn't, I didn't name anybody. You no, you did not name yeah, anyone, yeah. but we know how you feel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there, and that actually, I mean that in a good way. Sure, of course, we always do. But <laughs> I've seen the show, it's brilliant. <laughs> now, uh, but the, the, that leads to me to the next question, which is that as painful as that day was, it is already being cast as a day in history, and I'm curious how you feel about those people who know better, who are now trying to reframe that day as not a violation of our democracy and as merely a protest, and that as an ongoing gaslighting, they're trying to tell us what we saw we did not see, and thereby preventing our ability to stop it from happening again, I believe. What, what yes. is that? What, how, do you, how do you deal with that? That's an ongoing thing. That's not a historical feeling. That's an ongoing event. It's ongoing, it's happening now, and it's outrageous. And it was one of the things that drove me every day as I was writing the book, is I wanted to get the history down in a way that would be indisputable. And I tried to write it in a way that even the people that are sympathetic to Trump and even believed the things he was saying would see, no, that's a lie. I didn't just say, look, it's no truth, not evidence. I mean, I went through and looked at the stuff he was saying, and I went through in detail and explained why it was complete nonsense. It's a complete lie. And to see people like talk about the day, and, and Trump himself, um, I mean, when I went to see him, when I interviewed him for this book, talking about as if it was some kind of a glorious day, January 6th. You, you reveal in the book that um, as he was leaving office, I think on January 20th, when he yeah. was leaving, he's about to get on Air Force One and leave for the last time, he told um, Ron McDaniel, uh, I'm done, I'm starting my own party. Yeah. How did they stop him? Uh, so this, this was amazing. This was actually when he walked up the steps to Air Force One for his last flight on the plane to go to, go to Florida. He gets in to his office at the front of the plane before the plane takes off, and Ronna McDaniel was calling him. She wasn't at his farewell ceremony. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, just to say, hey, thank you, good luck, kind of thing. And that's when he dropped this bomb. And the way they stopped him from leaving the party is they essentially made a series of threats, of warnings. They said that, that if he did it, it was going to cost him tens of millions of dollars. There were legal bills the RNC was paying based on the election challenges that were now going to be his bills to pay. And they were going to take his most valuable political asset, his, his big, you know, 40 million name uh, email list, and they were going to make it worthless. They were going to take control of it and give it out for free so he couldn't rent it anymore. So, so he's a businessman. It was the bottom line. It was going to cost him tens of millions of dollars, and that's why he backed down. He backed down about four or five days after, that, after January 20th. Well, he told him he was leaving. He wasn't saying, I might. He said, I'm done. I'm gone. I'm starting my own party. And he backed down. We have to take a quick break, uh, but don't go anywhere. When we come back, I will ask Jonathan about uh, some interesting news about Mike Pence that I did not know, and neither did you, but you should. Stick around. Hey, everybody. 
betrayal. ABC News Chief Washington Correspondent Jonathan Carl, you went down to Mar-a-Lago and and interviewed the former president for the book, as you said. Yeah. Um, after January 6th, John Kelly said that he, to you, I believe, that he believed that the president was mentally unfit to serve in the Oval Office. He wanted the 25th Amendment to be invoked okay. immediately. He told me that while the rioters were still in the building. That this is it. They should yes. invoke it. They, they should unfit. meet right now and they should get him out now. Um, what is, you've talked to the man recently. What is his mental state? Um, <laughs> that's a, that's a, that's a, it's a tough one. I, look, I went down to see him. Uh, the first interview for the book was in Mar-a-Lago, um, just about a month and a half after he left office. Um, and you know, he looked fine. He looked fit. You know, a lot of presidents age in office. He doesn't seem like he actually aged in office. It's weird. Yes. Um, uh, but uh, some people don't age. It's suspicious. It's Jonathan very Carl. suspicious. <laughs> uh, but he was utterly delusional. Um, and especially in talking about the events of January 6th. We, we have a clip here, and I'm just curious if you could set this up. Do you know what's, what's happening here? Yeah, this is, uh, I was talking to him about the day, um, and... Uh, and where are you talking to him? Because uh, it sounds weird. It's weird, yeah, I'm sorry for the sound. It's, in the, it's at Mar-a-Lago. He made me do this interview in the middle of the lobby at Mar-a-Lago right before dinner. He wanted everybody that came to dinner to see him being interviewed. So that's why you hear people walking by and... And by the way, he has said a lot of terrible things about me, but in, 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 in the transcript of this interview, there, he says, oh, I'm with the great Jonathan Carl. Here he is. And this is the same guy that's called me a lot of names. Um, uh, and, uh, but yeah, he wanted to be seen. But we're in the middle of the lobby, and I'm asking about January 6th. Jim? So some people were saying 1776. If it's rigged, if it's being stolen, why not charge well, I, the Capitol? I, don't know. I, I hadn't heard that, but people were very angry. And people were there, that crowd. Never, the press, the fake news, which is fake, uh, the fake news never talked about the size of that crowd. That crowd was a massive crowd. It was a massive crowd. I mean, so he's, uh, he's missing the narrative here. He yeah, thinks can you imagine I'm asking it's him about, about whether he's popular. Yeah, I'm asking him about a riot. I'm asking him about the, the, one of the darkest days in American history, and he's talking about how many people came out to see him. Um, now, I understand you also have a fight with Mike Pence right now, a disagreement <laughs> about something. This is fascinating to me. Tell the people what it is. Okay, so I found out that during the riot, Mike Pence had with him the entire time a photographer, an official White House photographer, uh, who captured images of that entire period, including the roughly five hours where Pence was hidden away in the bowels of the Capitol in a place that nobody's ever really known because he refused to leave. He wanted to stay there. They got him out of the Senate chamber and they took him somewhere. Nobody ever... While people are erecting gallows yes, across the street. exactly. And uh, so I got a hold of the photographer. I actually saw all of the photographs. You saw them. I saw all the photographs. And by the way, it is wild to see that he was in a loading dock in an underground parking garage uh, beneath the Capitol uh, complex. No place to sit. No uh, desk, no chairs, no nothing. He was in this concrete, like, uh, parking garage. And... Um, you know, with his family and, in a, I mean, it, this is the vice president of the United States and he's like holed up in a, in a basement. And I went to the vice president, the former vice president, and I asked him if I could publish those photographs. I think they're part of the historical record. And I understand really important. one of the photographs is him literally looking at the tweet of, of yes. the president saying, Mike Pence. One of them is his chief of staff, uh, Mark Short, showing him his phone. And it's the tweet of Trump saying, Mike Pence didn't have the courage. This is the guy who like fled the, the rioters, mm -hmm. and Trump is saying it in the courage, and and you can see it kind of looks like Pence is grimacing, but you can never really tell. I don't know. Um, uh, 
But, but, the, but the fight you refer to is uh, they refuse to let me publish the photographs. But I have but, a suspicion yes. that the January 6th committee is going to want to see those photos. Now, and those aren't his photos. No, no, they're, they're your photos. They're everybody's photos here. We paid for those we photos. We paid for them. They're taken by the White House photographer. Those are part of the National Archives. Yes, and they're part of the historic record on a day that we need to see the historic record. Well, Jonathan, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Coming up, Brandy Carlisle. Lovely to have you here. Man, it's lovely to be here. I always love hearing you perform. I enjoy talking with you, too. We've had a chance to talk, but never in person before, all I know. over Zoom. But it feels like I've known you forever. <laughs> well, I kind of have the feeling, too. I, I want to get to your new album, In These Silent Days, in just one moment. But for first, I just want to ask you a little about the concert at Carnegie Hall on Saturday night. What an extraordinary... It's always... Uh, you know, as I said uh, before, she did Joni Mitchell's Blue. Always nice to see that sign. Sold out Carnegie Hall. First time you go there. No problem. <laughs> set the bar, set the bar kind of high for yourself. This was the second time you had done it, right? Yeah, it was the second time I had done Blue. I did it once in L.A. And you said before you had to be hypnotized, or you, you got yourself hypnotized to calm yourself down enough to do it in L.A. Did you have to do that this time? I was able to kind of rely on some of the old tools that I got from being hypnotized last time. Some of the little mantras and the things I was supposed to tell myself to snap out of total panic. Um, and it worked. It worked. But the goal wasn't the, goal wasn't, uh, the same as it was last time. What, what is that feeling like to walk out on Carnegie Hall stage for the first time? It, it's deeply emotional for me because I, I feel that like, that's maybe the most important venue in the country. Mm -hmm. And as just, you know, a little girl that's just grown up fascinated with the concept of entertaining people and live music. I mean, you get to Carnegie Hall and you've, you've done it, you know. And it's this amazing barrel of a place. <laughs> for the people who haven't been, for the people who haven't been, it's this amazing barrel of a place. It's a tremendous scale with these extraordinary acoustics It's there. stunning, yeah. yeah. I mean, one of my favorite moments was when we stepped out in front of the PA and did a song with no amplification at all. Absolutely beautiful. That was absolutely chill. You did Cannonball. Yeah. It was so beautiful. I did. We did a Cannonball. Um, uh, there are many incredible lyrics written by Joni Mitchell throughout her entire career, but especially on Blue, which is, as you said, is like the gateway drug for a lot of people for yeah. Joni Mitchell. I think so. What, what, do you have a favorite lyric? Oh, my God. I love them all so much. Um, I like what a rant last time I saw Richard is. It's just, it doesn't matter if it rhymes, you know. I love the spot where she's like, you know, I'm gonna blow this damn candle out. I don't want nobody coming over to my table. I got nothing to talk to anybody about. It's just such a rant. You feel like she didn't write it. She just sort of screened it, but mm -hmm. maybe like personally, because I really resonate with this line, um, I'm frightened by the devil, but I'm drawn to the ones who ain't afraid. Yeah. It's a good lyrics. I, I really, like, in case of you, I really like when it says uh, like, uh, I'm as constant as Northern Star. And I said, constantly in the darkness, where's that at? If you want me, I'll be in the bar. I mean, it's so <laughs> that, she just leaves out the line, mother I know, I know. <laughs> like, it is such but a But you dig. feel it. It's yeah. there. It's so dismissive. I mean, whenever I sing that line, mm -hmm. I go like, if you want me, I'll be in the bar. I even, like, bat the person away with my hand. So you did it. You crushed it. You absolutely blew the house down. How'd you celebrate afterwards? <laughs> 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 
Yeah! <laughs> I did do it! You did. Uh, I had a shot of tequila. Well, good. Because I was like, no alcohol for like the weeks leading up to this. Yes. I had a shot of tequila and I called Joni. Oh, I called Joni on FaceTime. Nice. And we that's had a little nice. FaceTime and we I, talked. I understand you jam, you go to uh, jams at her place. She has a jam just about every month. Yep. Joni's What's it joint. like to jam at Joni's place? It's like when your life flashes before your eyes, you're going to see those jams before you see the birth of your children kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> the last time we were together, last time we were talking, you had just released uh, your book, Broken Horses, yeah. which since became a New York Times number one bestseller. Yeah, I was so excited. I was hoping you'd heard about that. Did you, did you by any chance, did that influence at all the writing of this? Because they're back to back. Yeah, it, I mean, more than anything I've ever done in my life, it influenced it. I just... I shut the computer on the book and I just took a deep breath and I got up from the desk and I walked over to the piano and I wrote the first song on In These Silent Days. It was a continuum of it for sure. I've never felt so unblocked as a writer, ever. This has been The Late Show Poncho with Stephen Colbert. Watch The Late Show with Stephen Colbert weeknights at 11.35, 10.35 Central on CBS and Paramount+. Plus. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and subscribe to The Late Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. CBS Friday and streaming on Paramount Plus. Cal Fire's coming to you! Don't miss TV's hottest show, Fire Country. This is a high complexity rescue with a low chance of success. Follow the rules, and you shave another day off your sentence. Critics call it explosive and pure entertainment. I'm a fella. I'm not fit to be anything else. You're not an inmate, you're a firefighter. Bring it on. Fire Country. New episode Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS, and now streaming on Paramount Plus.